everybody to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm 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 joined by Howard Tybal, and it sounds I hear students. Is this you? Are you burying yourself in the role here? How can you tell that they're students? I hear I hear laughing and happiness. And <laughs> I, I hear I hear it's you like lunchtime you know, giddiness. Do you know why they're laughing? Why, why are they laughing? The, because the bills get sent directly to their parents. <laughs> That's right, they're laughing. Because they're sitting at this wonderful campus. They've got I'm at I'm at CU Boulder right now. And you know, the, the food here is spectacular. And it's it's a beautiful day here. So, you know, what is there not to be happy about? You know, they're just not thinking about, you know, what what am I gonna do in a year? <laughs> have you have you been to the Alfred Packer Grill? You know where that is? No. I used to cook there. I was a line chef there. You know, is your name? I think you had a sandwich. There, I didn't did. You? We've talked about this. I think. Yeah. I want you to. I want you to go order the Pete Wright. See if it's still there. The Pete Wright. The okay, Pete I'm going to check yeah. that out. That would be hysterical. That. It's, good. it's got Russian dressing on it. It's fantastic. It's on a bagel. See, the question is, did did your sandwich uh, transform or disrupt the way they used to do it? Ooh, do you see? I saw what you just did there. <laughs> I saw what you just did. Nice. That was fantastic. Yeah. We are talking about, uh, well, actually, you the, you just lobbed a grenade at me. You sent me this article that says we need to talk about this, uh, yeah. The Undoing of Disruption by Evan Goldstein in the Chronicle. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about that first. You should have, head over to tybelink.com. You should get to know us a little bit better. You can subscribe to the show for free, either on iTunes or by email, and, and uh, get the show delivered, uh, get notice of the show delivered straight to your inbox. We would love it if you would do that and connect with us uh, at Howard Teibel on Twitter or at Pete Wright on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. So there you go. All right. That said, uh, the undoing of disruption. Uh, we're talking, uh, this is a, a, an article that uh, takes on uh, Clay Christensen's disruptive innovation. Yes. Why do you want to talk about this today? Well, I read it and, you know, it, this has been, this has weaved its way from the corporate world. You know, Clay Christensen as a uh, Harvard professor, and he came out with this disruptive innovative innovation concept in the late 80s, and it has really gotten its roots uh, to represent in the corporate space what happens when a technology gets uh, moved out. There's a really nice, simple description of a disruptive innovation. A typically inferior invention eventually crowds out a better product because it's cheaper, more convenient, and for many customers, good enough. So you take out product, you take, you know, you put in uh, programs and services, whether it's classes, you, you take out customers, you put in students, and this has made its way into higher education, and Clay Christensen has been considered the thought leader in trying to drive uh, a recognition that things like online education is not only going to transform higher education, but as he claimed at one point, and I don't have the exact statistics, it is going to, in the next five to seven years, we're going to see... Uh, anywhere between 30 and 50 percent of the schools, and again, I don't know the exact percentage, but I, I've heard very high numbers from him that will eventually no longer exist because they will be crowded out by the cheaper, uh, less less effective, but 
uh, more embraced technology, and and this has become sort of the mantra uh, as we try to drive change in higher education. And now you got this article where you know it was only a matter of time, right? Before somebody came out and 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 the Chronicle said, "Listen, we've got we've got this guy that wrote this article that says, looking at these 77 examples from Christensen, these these do not line up with this theory." So, whether so, I think this is an important conversation to point to, uh, whether we're be ri- being rigorous about the term disruptive innovation and when we should be using it and when we shouldn't be using it. You know, when I when I think about it from an academic perspective, when I think of sort of disruption in the classroom, I mean, we have lots of examples of what it means to be disruptive in in the classroom and to, and how technology has allowed us to uh, you know flip the class, classroom and really challenge um, you know challenge students on their expectations of what they get when they walk in the classroom. And we're, you know, we're experiencing that not just in higher ed, but in you know in elementary and middle school, things are changing in the uh, in the way students are engaged in the classroom. I think it's I think it's pretty safe to say that that there are educators out there that are really working to disrupt what the student experience looks like. What is your assessment mm-hmm. as you look at this with regard to uh, administrative leadership? Do you think we have embraced what disruption is in terms of the legacy of higher ed, uh, you know, of, of campuses? You know, I think we've we've taken sort of a bird's eye view at this, and that's what I mean by the difference of looking at it superficially versus looking at it critically. Uh, in many ways, I think the the concepts behind it. You know, I'm working with a college uh, prof- a college president who read one of Clay's books and used it as a way to build a story to try and push uh, academic and administrative leaders to take more seriously that things are changing and and here is an example of something that we should be anticipating a a, a less effective cheaper option and again the 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 strongest example is online learning that should wake faculty up to say all right what do we do about this and i think in some cases it's been an effective way to get people to look at the question of how do we accelerate change? At the same time, uh, there's a whole population of people that that don't buy into this, uh, partially because they they don't think that even the inferior product would ever be embraced at the level. Now, at the same time, it is <clears throat> it is weaving its way uh, into our higher ed culture and i think that the 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 best use of this concept is this idea that can we anticipate uh, a coming change that we should prepare ourselves for you know kaplan university uh getting better at uh driving kids through their programs, potentially creating credentialing or certificates or badges that that then allow them to turn around and use that to get a good job. There was no question you could th- you could you could frame that as a disruption. And 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 the question is, is this concept uh, one of these things that's going to continue to grow, or is it sort of a fad that yeah. it's going to sort of die out? I, I think the real challenge here, and this is you know comes from some experience. You know, they they uh, the, one of the lines from the uh, from the piece uh, that 
Christensen says he half-jokingly asked the audience to pray for Harvard Business School, where he's a professor, and which has so far not heeded his advice to disrupt itself. Quote, mm-hmm. the low end today, he warned, mentioning outfits like the University of Phoenix, is the leader of tomorrow. Now, speaking specifically of University of Phoenix, this is an institution that for, uh, for you know, it, it's from its inception was a campus-based program, and over the course of about five years disrupted itself to the point where it completely upended and became uh, predominantly known as an online educator. Uh, that is the, what University of Phoenix did. Whatever you think of the reputation of the institution, what they did was change the way large-scale uh, providers of education uh, can uh, pace the degree of change that they introduce into the market. Uh, they, they are a non-trivial player when you look at this idea of, of disruption. And are we seeing that kind of infrastructure disruption? Uh, are we challenging ourselves in the traditional ed perspective? Are we challenging ourselves uh, to think critically about what disruption could mean? Or are we just saying we're being disrupted? Well, I, I love that you weaved in that that quote because this is a different take on this. This is this is Clint Christensen challenging academic leaders to look at itself and say, can we put in place alternatives that will that will disrupt the traditional model of the sage on the stage and the students sitting there just you know taking notes and, and flipping the classroom idea rather than waiting for others to do it. I think it's, that's a brilliant, important question, and that is out there. Schools without question are asking themselves, how are we going to increase our relevancy? I just spent the morning with uh, the campus leadership at CU Boulder talking about how are we going to increase the graduation rate percentage of our students that go through our system. Uh, and, you know, the standard metric is uh, six-year graduation rate. And many schools have a very poor record on that. And and CU is putting a, a lot of attention in how they're going to do it. The disruption in this case for them has a lot to do with disrupting behavior, getting faculty to play a role in helping kids, uh, helping students step up and being able to see that they can get through this versus what often happens is faculty frustration that the wrong kids, quote unquote, are being admitted. So there is a, there is a sea change going out there right now in terms of schools trying to evaluate how are they going to increase this concept of student success. This, the concept of disrupting yourself uh, I think it's an important one that schools are examining. And I think Christensen's point that is going to play out is the schools that the institutions, large and small, that don't learn how to adapt their programs to increase their relevancy and and, and in many ways figure out the right model that allows them to thrive economically, they are going to be disrupted by the other schools that have figured this out. So I'm not so sure it's about a technology that's going to disrupt higher education. I think it's going to be the schools that embrace disrupting themselves 
are going yes. to disrupt the schools that haven't figured that out. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's exactly my point. It's when you wake up in the morning and you think to yourself, am I going to be an active participant in the disruption at my institution in order to make something better? Or am mm. I going to be, am I going to have change foisted upon me in a way that is not agreeable? Because yeah. if it's foisted upon you, it's largely not agreeable. Right. That's right. That's and, right. And and so when you look at what when you look at what these dis, you know naturally disruptive innovations that come from sort of the low cost players that are coming into the market, much of what I, I think is is so challenging, is that you have a traditional ed natural response of what they're doing is not who we are. Right. right. So yep. what what they're they're not who we are. They're catering to an audience that that is not our audience. I would say uh, likely the crossover in that Venn diagram is probably larger than you think. The people that are going to uh, looking for a more of a just in time approach to education, looking more of a convenient uh, approach to yeah, education, yeah. either if it's online or if it's on ground, whatever. But give me access and ability to to get myself educated when I need to be educated. Uh, we're going to go to whoever steps up to the mic with a product that fits that bill, and so that's right. And, that becomes so much of the disruption, right? Is do we have the ability at our institution to embrace that new way of thinking to get our academic side of the house to say, yes, I think we could actually craft a product that 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 teaches people when they need to be taught. I, I think we really could do it online in a way that that still yeah. lives up to our standard of credibility. And, and, and you know, just this this past uh, couple of weeks, the Chronicle had a whole section on credentialing and the fact that it's becoming more understood that a piece of paper that says what your degree is on it is an is an insufficient measure of what those who are hiring people into whatever careers want to see about their skills and the reason this is this is causing the disruption and it's going to bring more of that concept of uh, being able to demonstrate through badges or credentials a certain kind of ability, uh, the reason this is going to take more hold is because more and more the story from people out in industry inheriting college students is they, the perception that they're not prepared. They don't write sufficiently. So there is feedback from those outside, and it's making its way into the institution saying, we, as, as much as we got these great programs, we got to find a way to demonstrate, give these students an opportunity to demonstrate back to those who will be those hiring them that, that they are qualified for the jobs. And a piece of paper that says you have a BA or an MA uh, does not in itself demonstrate that. And schools are figuring out how to inherit this. So I think yeah. the hybrid that's playing out here in a fascinating way, which is you know, I don't think the for-profits are going to take over. I think that the for-profits are pushing the non-profit institutions to figure out how to offer within their current domain of a residential campus experience or of a community college, how to offer a more, as you said, uh, modular approach. So if, so if we have to if we have to give students a just-in-time education, uh, we're going to do this. If we need to offer a three-year college degree that 
and really have that reduce the cost of our education. That has a huge ripple effect in how faculty have to think about their programs. But it is making its way through the industry. So, you know, it's funny. In some ways, I come full circle in this conversation because in one breath, uh, the Chronicle, if you read this superficially, it looks like maybe this is a fad that's passed. I think the disruption concept is going to evolve, and it's going to evolve as an internal conversation versus look outside of ourselves and saying, look who's going to take over. It's not – you know, we all, we all thought the libraries were going to go away. That didn't happen. Libraries are evolving. You right? only think They're libraries are going away if you think that a library's core product is books. Right. Now the core product of the library, and they're sh shooting up everywhere on college campuses and public domains, is these are communities. Mm -hmm. These are places you go, and you can be in a community environment. And they're, and, they're, and they're taking their books, and they're moving them out, and these are places that you can come and connect with others on, on important ideas. And I think that's part of I, I think that's part of the solution. I think we're in violent agreement, right? I mean, I, I absolutely think that so much of this discussion is all about the institutions taking an active role and ownership of the disruption and not being disrupted upon. I think that's the that's the big lesson for me. Uh, and and I think as an example, I mean, how many times have I been in this conversation personally, which is, you know, you, you bring up writing and, and the challenge of, of teaching writing online. Um, you know, having people who graduate from online programs who can't write. And it's, it's not just online that this is happening. It's happening because we write less culturally. We write less today than we did before, right, in, in, in years past. But that is not a challenge of delivery. It's not a challenge of modality. It's, an it's a challenge of, uh, of sort of the academic approach to writing. Do we have, um, you know, are we teaching it the way that it needs to be taught? And too many times I've had this conversation with a Administrators, it says, you know, the people who who pay the bills. We've got these these companies who say, you know, you're sending us graduates that can't write, so this program might not be good, and so we have to cancel the program. But that's not what it's about. It's about coming up with a creative approach to to address this particular symptom and mm. not to and not to just give up on a whole new bit of disruption that may ultimately be very healthy uh, for us as a as a people. Well, you know, it's funny. In the end, I was, I, part of my session today, I was talking about headlines. And I think what's in some ways what's brilliant about disruptive innovation is what's got legs around that is this idea whether you are thinking about disruption from the outside or you are being intentional from the inside. This is something that is has made its way into our lexicon. And I, I don't think that's going away. I think the conversation may evolve. I think it's too black and white to think. Matter of fact, Christensen's contribution has been made and continues to be made. And I think it's going to be up to institution leaders to say, we need to keep figuring out how we are going to disrupt ourselves. I think that, and what I love about this, Pete, is that that's a message. I know if I was in front of a group of leaders, if I said that today, if I'd done the podcast before I got in front of this group, everybody would have heard it. And, and, and it's a great open question. How are you going to disrupt yourself? Man, yeah. that, that, is, that is the central question in, in the question about the economics models project that Nakubo is doing, the questions that faculty are thinking about, trying to figure out how they're going to balance research and teaching, uh, the questions uh, in terms of student success. It's all about 
being willing to go in a sense what it is it's 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 moving from complacency to engaging in the question deeply in many ways what christensen's done is he's given people a wake up call to 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 not focus on business as usual we we we're so good to point out the things that we've done today i said to the group and they, by the way, they've done some great things here. And I said, listen, at your table now, what I want you to do is I don't want you to talk about all the wonderful things you've done. What are you going to do from this point on forward that is going to have an increasing impact on student success? Because I can tell you, if I, if I had asked the question in a very sort of generic way, people would have pointed to what they're doing. And what we have to keep doing is we have to keep pushing people to figure out how they're going to continue to peel the onion and, as Christensen's been talking about, disrupt themselves. I, I love it. I love that whole concept. You know, I was thinking about it again back from an academic perspective, and then I'll, then I'll finally shut up on this topic. But, you know, I, I think I told you some time ago I, I participated in a um, Connected Courses um, co-learning environment with faculty from all over the all around the world uh, on um, you know how to become better teachers online and yep. and that has become you know the, it was spearheaded by guys like uh, Jim Groom and Howard Rheingold I mean these sort of legendary folks in in the in, in the higher ed uh, broader higher ed sort of uh, academic community they're just fantastic and and I think it, it addresses the core question, how, when you wake up in the morning as an academic, as an instructor, how are you going to uh, learn to become a better teacher no matter what the modality is thrown at you uh, so that we can, make, uh, we can make all learning equal learning? And I think that same question, when, I, when I'm in this MOOC with thousands of other educators who are all striving to answer that question for themselves, um, I'm... I'm forced to ask that question again of the administrators who are saying, you know, how are we going to do the same thing for our campuses? You know, what are we doing today that's going to make this campus better fit learners yeah. of tomorrow? You know, that's right. That's a great point. Uh, one of the one of the unintended consequences of this is that the other the other group that reads uh, the Chronicle are trustees. And I just happened to notice one of the comments at the bottom of this article. It says, alas, the debunking is coming too late to slow down the higher ed trustees who blindly believe mantras of disruption and hire CEOs with no understanding of education as saving as saviors. And what's interesting about this, I think that is that is too broad brush a stroke, but there is absolutely something to be said for trustees or boards looking at these corporate concepts and saying we have to hire uh, leaders who are the equivalent of a CEO to and, and treat higher education like the disc drive industry and reinvent itself uh, in that way. And in some ways, I think this is getting the right CEO makes a lot of sense and is critical because the job of a, of a college president, university president or chancellor is in a sense what a CEO has to do. But I think we've got to be very careful to not buy into concepts so blindly that we don't, we don't 
keep the the mindset of what we're really trying to do here. Yeah, I was on mute for just a second because I was screaming at the top of my lungs when you read that <laughs> comment. The, the whole, I, you know, the whole point and the whole the, part of the reason we work in academics is because we tend to be people who are particularly adept at taking discrete bodies of information and integrating them into wisdom. And that is, I, I think, if if you, I, I think that may be a shortcoming of of board thought that is outside of my experience. Um, but if that is really happening, that's a discussion we need to have with some board guests because that would, that would be a horrible thing. And I hope it's not happening. Uh, and it, but it probably is somewhere. Well, you know, it is happening somewhere because there are, there are, there are too many institutions to say that, this is not a trend in some places. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's why an organization like AGB is so critical to raise the level of understanding of what it means to engage in academic topics and not think about this purely as a as a uh, as a business. Fair enough. But you're right. That is that is for a topic on another day. So I so I am sitting here surrounded by 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 our future, Pete. And it's pretty exciting. You it know, is pretty I get I, I sit here. It is really exciting. What do you think? Would you want to go back to college at this point? Oh, hands down, yes. Oh, I'd be so wow. good at it now. Are you kidding? Yeah. yeah, but think about all the <laughs> think about all the maturity that you have amassed that since when you were a college kid. I was right? a, I was an idiot. <laughs> I was a plum idiot. Uh, you know, I didn't know you that, but I'm not. It doesn't make. I don't, I don't quite see how you've changed that much. Oh, nice. I see where we're going. Okay, that was good. That was good. Okay, you set me up for Wrapping that. Up, I'm gonna, I was. No, hang on. Let me pull out my book of old man jokes. Hang on. <laughs> Uh, this was, uh, in spite of, of your clothes, this is a great conversation, Howard. I'm glad you brought this up. I'm glad you sent me this article to read, and uh, I think it's one we're going to need to talk about in the coming weeks. I think both of us are better off for it, too. Yeah, certainly. Certainly better people. Some be better off than others. And hopefully people listening to this feel like this was something that they can bring back to their institutions. We will post the link in uh, in the show notes at tybalink.com, and we will also we'll, uh, post it on our Twitter feeds, too. This is the link we talked about today, so be on the lookout for that, at Howard Tybal at Pete Wright. Uh, we'll forward that out uh, uh, today as the show goes live. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. On behalf of Howard Tybal from lovely Boulder, Colorado, I assume you're heading off for a swim in the buffalo-shaped pool this afternoon. Is that How accurate? do you even know? That is the funniest thing you i just saw it for the first i've been coming here for a couple of years now yeah i just saw it today for the first time and i took a picture of it it's fantastic I, i'm going to send you the picture that i took and i want you to post it on the website i will post it i will absolutely post it on the website oh my god it's yeah. nuts yeah it's, it's beautiful that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a legacy project right there is <laughs> a buffalo shaped pool all right yeah. we got to get out of here we got to go on behalf of our table i'm pete wright and we'll catch you next week on navigating change the podcast from Tybal Inc.